Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. So they say hearts are a flutter this time of year. So show your breeding program some love with Embark, creator of the most scientifically advanced dog DNA test on the market with its specialized testing just for you. The Embark for Breeders Dog DNA Kit is an essential tool if you're planning your next litter or just finished your foundation bitch and you want the best for your breeding program. The Embark Dog DNA Kit not only tests for breed-relevant genetic health conditions for your purebred dogs, but it tests for traits like coat color and body size and genetic diversity using COI. After you receive your results, you will find an easy-to-download OFA submission report in your online profile. Very cool. Find out why responsible breeders trust Embark to enhance their breeding program. Right now, you can save on the most accurate, most comprehensive dog DNA kit. Just visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use code PUREDOGTALK to enjoy $20 off each Embark for Breeders dog DNA kit in your order. That's EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use code PUREDOGTALK. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and our dear friend, Dr. Marty Greer, is back with us today. And we're going to talk about something that I think pretty much every single dog breeder I know, certainly if you have been breeding dogs for more than a minute, has run into this problem. And that is either Giardia or Coccidia or both sort of endemic on your property. Right, Marty? It is. And once you get it, you're absolutely right. It's endemic. You can't get rid of it. And that's the bad news is there's no really great treatment for either of them. There's nothing you can do that's going to disinfect your way out of it. We can't vaccinate our way out of it. So we need to talk about all of our options. Yes. And that is what we are here to do today. I can raise my hand and I can tell you it exists here As a professional handler, I had dogs that I would send home from a dog show that were never even on my property that would have Giardia. I'm like, welcome to being a show dog. So, I mean, there's all those pieces. So let's kind of run through it and talk about each one of them and how we identify them and what we can do to manage them. Because as we were just commenting, even bloody diarrhea at this point in our lives as dog people is often hard to get to see a veterinarian to treat. Right. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack here. Mm -hmm. So we started off saying you can't vaccinate your way out of it. There used to be a vaccine for Giardia that came off the market a number of years ago. Allegedly what I've been told by other people in the industry is it didn't work, but I thought actually we got a pretty decent response. However, Mm -hmm. If you can't buy it, you can't buy it, and there's nothing we can do about it. So there's never been a Coccidia vaccine, and the Giardia vaccine's been gone for a number of years. So we can't vaccinate against it. Now, that being said, many of the organisms that we see in the GI tract, whether it's Giardia or Coccidia 
or Parvo, or tonight I got a text message from a lady in Florida about Campylobacter. Many of those are secondary to something else. So good gut health in general is your best defense. That's really the primary backbone of what you can do. So that means a diet that's appropriate, that doesn't cause your dog to have diarrhea or loose stools, a probiotic that's appropriate to keep the right bacteria there, making sure you're vaccinated for all the things you can vaccinate against, such as Parvo, and making sure that you get regular fecal analyses done and you appropriately treat. And one of the best defenses you have right now are the monthly heartworm preventives that you give orally. So Interceptor and Iverheart and HeartGuard and Sentinel and that whole array of those drugs that control heartworm disease, and in some cases also fleas and ticks, if it's Semperica trio, will give you better gut health because it controls intestinal parasites such as roundworms, hookworms, and whipworms. So the fewer other things your dog's body has to deal with, the fewer whipworms or hookworms or parvo mm. or diarrhea or diet change or the dog that got into the garbage or the healthier the gut, the better the dog's overall health is going to be. Okay. So that's a good place to start. Giardia and coccidia are not viral. They're literally bugs. Yes. They're organisms. They're parasites. Yes. Correct. And so talk to us about, I mean, they aren't the same, even the symptoms and all the rest of it. They're similar. They all fall into the category of bad potty and what do we call it? NDR, not doing right. <laughs> so let's run through them each specifically and any differentiations that we might be able to identify between the two. Sure. So they're both one-celled parasites. You can see them under the microscope. Giardia is harder to see under the microscope than coccidia, but they're both a one-celled parasite that can cause diarrhea, loose stools, icky gut, doesn't feel good. They're both transmitted through a fecal-oral route. In other words, they're ingested by the patient. So they don't cross the placenta. They don't cross the mammary gland the way roundworms and hookworms do. They come through the fecal-oral route. Now, that being said, one of my own litters of puppies a number of years ago, I had coccidia in them when they were three weeks old, and they had obviously not been outside yet because they were three weeks old. So obviously, mom had loose stool. She had diarrhea. I have corgis. They have a little extra coat on their rear. And I'm sure one of them or more than one of them probably scooted around through the little stuff that happens on the back end of a coated dog with diarrhea and picked it up. So you can have parasites very, very young. We can see coccidia pretty effectively under the microscope. And many times we'll see jillions of them under the microscope. Giardia is harder to find under the microscope. It's a small cyst. It comes as there's a cyst and a trophozoite form of it, so that can be a little bit harder to identify those, but there is an ELISA test that's run by multiple labs. You can run it in the veterinary clinic if you ask specifically for that test, or some of the diagnostic labs include that in the whole fecal analysis profile if they look at the antigens, because there is an antigen for hookworms, an antigen for roundworms, and one for giardia. So that stool sample, that testing can be very effective in determining if there is a parasite that they can't see microscopically. The other thing that's great about the reference labs, and we send all of our stools out, is that they have technicians that can tell us, oh, this is a coccidia, but it's not a dog coccidia. It's that of some other 
wildlife and your dog probably ate deer poop or rabbit poop or whatever, but it's not going to take up residence in your dog's GI tract. It's just passing through. So the distinction between those is really important because it helps you to determine as a veterinary professional, do I have to treat this? Is it going to go away? And how do we manage that? And in fact, there are some dogs with Giardia that we deliberately decide not to treat. So that's another discussion. Okay. So let's run with this Giardia tract. No pun intended. (laughs) Yeah. Let's run this tract down. So distinctively odor, not parvo, not coccidia, its own distinctive odor to the diarrhea. How do we identify it? How do we say, oh, my dog has Giardia. It's not dying of something else. This isn't a panic, or maybe it is. How do we make those distinctions? Sure. So the most commonly affected dogs that get sick are going to be the younger ones or the dogs that are immunocompromised. Mm -hmm. So in general, if your dog has a little loose stool, but they're feeling okay, they're eating okay, they're not vomiting, everything's okay other than their stools are intermittently or consistently loose. Yeah, you take a stool sample in if your vet can't get you in, which is pretty common at this point in our life, take a stool in, ask if they can send it to a reference lab if they can't do Giardia testing, or if they see a parasite that they're not certain about identification of. And basically, you just see if you can get a diagnosis that way. The dogs generally aren't very, very sick. Now, in the late 1970s, this goes back a ways, I remember seeing puppies come to the veterinary clinic I was working at with bloody diarrhea. These were really sick puppies. And they would look at a stool sample and say, oh, the puppy has coccidia. We would treat for coccidia. The puppy wouldn't get better. Well, newsflash, that was parvo, but nobody knew it was parvo at that time. So parvo has its own smell. It has a very metallic, distinctive smell. Giardia, you usually get kind of a yellow, foamy stool. Coccidia, the stools are just sort of loose. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I have people that have all kinds of different terms for them. If you look online, there's actually a fecal scoring chart. Oh, my God. Okay. You can Google it put in dog fecal scoring chart because there's one for cats too. And it grades the stools one, two, three, four, five. So you can look at that. There's everything from like a puddle to soft serve ice cream to, you know, hard Tootsie Roll stools that you can pick up with one hand. I feel really bad for the graduate student whose job was to take enough photographs (laughs) that they could actually publish a fecal scoring chart. So if you Google it, you can find it. And that's helpful because it helps you to assess how severe is this? And to describe it better to your veterinarian or the receptionist at the veterinary clinic that speaks to you on the phone, because obviously bloody stools are more concerning, but just because your dog has bloody stool doesn't mean your dog is dying. Yes. Lots of dogs have bloody stool. That is the thing that I think is the hardest to come to, I think, as a dog person, as a breeder, as a whatever. And at this point in my time in dogs, 40 some odd years in, if it has some blood in the stool, but it's otherwise active, eating, you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, running around like a crazy person, and it's just got this thing coming out behind that's disgusting, like, okay, we're going to watch this, but I'm not frantic. Exactly. So you do your probiotic, you do your canned pumpkin, you talk to your vet, you drop a stool sample off, but you don't go into a tailspin. So hemorrhagic gastroenteritis is a diagnosis of description. That just means there is blood in the stool. Now, if the dog is vomiting and sick and dehydrated, that's That's another story. You need to get in. Right. But like you said, if the dog's bouncing around and they're happy and they're eating, 
throw them on some canned pumpkin, put them on some probiotic or some yogurt if you can't get probiotic, and try to get a dog probiotic. There's a couple good ones on the market. You need to look at how many colony forming units are in the product at the end of the expiration date with generally Fortiflora by Purina and ProViable, Nutramax's product, and Roy Vival's, Doc Roy's GI Symbiotics. Those are probably the ones that I generally recommend the most. Fortiflora is my favorite. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, I used to be really concerned about putting dogs on Fortiflora because it talks about having a beef in it, but Mm. that's actually a hydrolyzed protein beef. So they've broken down the molecules so small that even if you have a dog that is sensitive to beef, it's not going to react to it because it's hydrolyzed protein. So you can very safely use it. They come in these little sachet pouches Mm -hmm. and they're tasty and they're easy to give and the dogs do really, really well on them. So it's a great product. You should always have some probiotic hanging around. Always have Fortiflora. I've had it like literally save lives, you know, like baby puppies that I put it in a little bit of water and put it in a syringe and get it in them and had them be helped by it. Yeah. There's also a really cool company based out in California called Animal Biome. They do fecal transplants on dogs. So if you are having problems with chronic diarrhea and you're just not getting anywhere, they've got a great website. You can take a look at that and they actually will collect stool from normal dogs and encapsulate it and provide it for you to give to your dog. So I've had several dogs that have just been intractable for soft stools. Usually they're Bernie's Mountain Dogs. And those dogs do very, very well on the Animal Biome product. Hmm. So if you're feeling frustrated, that's a really good resource of information. Okay. So we kind of skipped a little bit over causation. So how is it that you get to have Giardia and Coccidia on your property? Yes, you should probably pick up your poopy more often, maybe. What are we talking about? Well, there's a lot of discussion about whether this comes from other species or not. We used to really be a lot more concerned about Giardia being zoonotic, in other words, transferring back and forth between people and dogs and vice versa. But now they think that the Giardia species are different enough that it doesn't happen. Great question. You have to have a dog that brought it onto the property at some point, And once it's there, it becomes part of the woodwork, you know, it mm-hmm. just becomes part of the environment. So poultry, birds, rabbits, wildlife, we don't really know how much of a role all those play versus some of it just coming from other dogs. And so before you bring a dog onto your property, if you're boarding it, if you're caring for it, if you're doing rescue, any of those things. If you're a professional handler. <laughs> yeah. So quarantine them, have a special area that you can quarantine them. I mean, you have to be worried about a lot of things, including brucellosis, if it's a breeding dog, blah, blah, blah. But in other words, quarantine the dog. Don't just bring the dog in and say, here we are, exposing everybody to everything that just came onto your property. And the same actually with people coming out of the property. What's kind of cool about COVID, one of the very few kind of cool things about COVID, is that I was talking to a dog breeder client of ours today. And he explains to people that he doesn't really want them coming out of the property until they're there to pick up their puppy. He doesn't want them traipsing on and visiting extra times because he doesn't want to introduce anything and make the puppy sick. And I said, well, you know, COVID has helped people understand infectious disease transmission and to be much more sensitive about it. So they're no longer just like, oh, whatever, because we've had clients get parvo and get other diseases by inviting people under their property. So, yeah, you need to be careful. I've had clients have workmen bring it onto the property with their shoes or their boots. So you need to really be aware of those kind of exposures. So footwear, you should have a foot bath, you should change shoes. 
I wear a lot of the Crocs, the unlined plastic shoes that you can buy, you know, at Walmart mm-hmm. for 10 bucks. And they're great for our isolation ward. They're great for my staff to wear to work. When I am around sick dogs and come home after I have a litter of puppies, everything goes straight into the washing machine and I go straight into the shower. So shoes, I mean, literally those shoes go in my washer. Now you cannot put them in the dryer. My husband tried that once. They turn into little tiny elf shoes that curl up at the ends. So please do not put your Crocs in the dryer. Oh my God. Oh my God. I did just about die laughing. That is amazing. Please do not put your Crocs in the dryer. Well, and I think that, you know, realistically, like I said, I've had dogs that, while I was a handler, that, you know, the clients called me up. My dog has Jardy. I'm like, I'm sorry. The dog's never been to my house. What do you want me to do about it? You know, it happens. Like, it literally is out there in the world. And I think just being aware of it and being able to address it. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet. Trupanion cares passionately about pets and makes sure their policy has what it takes to serve you and your furry companions. In fact, they are the first pet insurance provider to cover certain health conditions associated with breeding animals through their specialized breeding rider. Their industry-leading coverage does not stop there. Trupanion's free breeder support program also allows you to send your litters home protected with an offer for a Trupanion policy. Learn more about all of the perks that Trupanion offers breeders by following the link on my partner page at puredogtalk.com. So, you know, you've got the bad potty. Are we going to treat with anything more than pumpkin and probiotics? Are we going to medicate? Yeah. So diet can really help. So there are prescription diets on the market that are made for GI problems. Hills makes one. Purina makes one. Royal Canin makes five. Mm. There's a lot of good ones. There's some over-the-counter ones. You can buy sensitive skin and stomach. Those are good. I like the Royal Canin German Shepherd diet a lot. Even if you don't have a German Shepherd, I put a lot of dogs on German Shepherd food because German Shepherds stress for their gut, and this is a highly digestible food that you can buy over-the-counter without a prescription. You can get it online. You can get it at the store. Fancy stores like Fleet Farm and Walmart have it. I feed ProPlan sensitive skin and stomach and have for, I don't know, 15 years, and everything I own is on it. It's a great food. So there you yeah. go. Yeah. I fed GI diets to my personal dogs for years because we've had really good success with it. Treatment, though, if we get down to being really specific, Albon is labeled for use for coccidia, but there is no other drug that is labeled for coccidia. And a lot of people are going off the rails and pulling off drugs that are not labeled for use in this species in the United States. I don't use them. I just flat out stick to Albon because it works. If you weigh the dog, so number one, you have to weigh it so your dose is accurate. Number two, if you're using the liquid, you have to shake it up really well because it does settle out. And the recommendation is when you get a bottle, if you get a 16-ounce bottle, that you shake it really well like a paint shaker and then just divide it up into four-ounce aliquots so that you have a much more uniformly distributed product when you're medicating. So that's going to keep you from having a less concentrated version of it at the beginning of the bottle and a more concentrated version at the end. It's like chocolate milk or salad dressing. Mm -hmm. It settles out. You have to shake it. So Albon is the only product that I will recommend using for coccidia. 
Now, for Giardia, there is no labeled drug for use in the United States, but there are three that are commonly used and very effective, metronidazole, fenbendazole, sometimes metronidazole and fenbendazole together. Do not use metronidazole on puppies that are very young or pregnant bitches. Don't go there, but you can do fenbendazole, which is Panicure, Safeguard. Those are fine. And then the other product is Drontel Plus, which is a combination product. People are, again, they're using off-label drugs. They're taking a tube of medication that's meant to treat a 1,500-pound horse, Mm. and they are trying to dose it to treat a one-pound puppy. And there's going to be inaccuracies. There's going to be mistakes. There's going to be calculation errors. You get your decimal point in the wrong place, even if you're really good at math. If you're off by tenfold, you're going to create problems. I've read all kinds of things online about people that have misdosed their drugs. And compounded drugs, some of these are being compounded, but even compounding is not always perfect. If you remember about 10 years ago, there was a boatload, literally a boatload of polo ponies that were transported from Venezuela to the United States. They landed in Florida. As they were coming off the boat, they were injecting them with vitamin E and selenium, which is supposed to help their muscle. And the pharmacy that had compounded the drug miscalculated the compounding. And 25 polo ponies dropped off the needle dead. I think maybe two survived. So oh, actually, I don't think I remember hearing this. I'm thinking of a different yeah. story. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was horrible. So needless to say, the pharmacy went bankrupt and 25 polo ponies died unnecessarily. So I don't believe that compounding, I don't believe that we should be using drugs that are off-label. Panazaril, Tetrazaril, I'm just, I'm not a fan. Secnitazole, not a fan. Do I know about those drugs? Absolutely. Do I recommend it? No. And I won't use them. I just flat out don't think it's safe. I don't think it's a good idea. And if you think you can take a 1,500-pound medication tube and dose it accurately at one pound on a young puppy, you're not going to. At some point, you're going to have a toxicity. I have seen metronidazole toxicities. They are unpleasant. They cause seizures. They're neurologic. It's very unpleasant. Not any fun at all. So why are we using drugs when we have perfectly good ones that work if you weigh the dog accurately, if you dose the medication accurately, and if you shake your medications up well, you're going to have good outcomes from the drugs that we already know are safe and effective. So let's stick to safe and effective and not go off the rails and use something that blows up on you because at some point it's going to go south. And I think people just freak out. They see liquid coming out their dogs, hiney like a fire hose, and they lose their minds. Yeah, it's just like seriously. I don't know a better way to say it. So I think it's really important to hear. I personally have used metronidazole successfully. The stories I could tell as a dog handler and the times that I had dogs that God knows what, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Like it truly is amazing, but dose properly used effectively, metronidazole will work. Yeah. The big question I have about metronidazole is help people to understand Metronidazole is not a long-term thing. Is that correct? Yes. And I have seen plenty of neurotoxicities from it. I had one. Yeah. I mean, they can be misdosed. It can be overdosed. It can be treated for too long. Too long. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had one client that called me and her dog was on a sled dog team and they were driving from Colorado back to Utah and the dog had been on a long course of metronidazole and realized at that point that the dog had developed a toxicity And so I'm online trying to figure out what we're going to do because she is in the middle of freaking nowhere. Mm. And I called ahead to a pharmacy that was 
in Utah where she was going to be the next morning and had them get Valium ready because Valium will shorten the toxicity from 33 hours to 13 hours. And I said to her, so tomorrow morning when you wake up, keep the curtains in the hotel room closed, keep the dog quiet, go directly to the pharmacy because as soon as the light came in through the window, the dog started to seize. That amount of stimulation put the dog into a seizure. So Valium is your friend, but your better friend is to just not get Not use metronidazole past a certain point. In the particular situation I was in, I had a dog that had an anaerobic bacterial lung infection. And it was the only thing that we could get that would touch it. And it was the balancing act of killing this particular bacterial infection and not killing the dog. Right. And we reached that tipping point. So, yeah. Yeah. So the therapeutic dose is between 25 and 50 milligrams per kilogram. The toxic dose is 65 milligrams. It is only a little bit more than 10% over Mm -hmm. the therapeutic dose. So it doesn't take much to get into trouble. And especially if it's a really young puppy or a pregnant dog, Mm -hmm. just don't even go there. Use fenbendazole, Panicure. It is safe during pregnancy. It is safe for newborns. It is safe to do those things. So let's stick to the things that we know are safe and effective because we just don't need to have people that are misdiagnosing and mistreating. And will the Panicure, the fenbendazole treat coccidia too or no? Only giardia. No, only giardia. So then you have to go to Albon for coccidia. And the other thing that I learned a couple of years ago, this is something relatively recent in my repertoire, is that Albon given for the last three days that a puppy is at the breeder's home and continued for the first three days at the new owner's home will stabilize the bacteria in the GI tract and reduce the risk of the puppy getting parvo. And that just blew my mind. Seriously? Yeah. It's not an antiviral drug, but essentially what you do is gut health, which is how we started off this conversation, is gut health. And if the dog's got good gut health, they are more resistant to other bacteria, other parasites, viruses, you name it. It's a better situation. So let's do it, man. Uh-huh. I'm all about this one. Last three days yeah. at the breeder and the first three days with the new owner. Right. So I have people that may have a risk of parvo because of their sure. environment send that home. And it's not because they're sending home a sick puppy because right. you don't want to send a sick puppy home but you're doing it preventively, prophylactically to prevent destabilization because as soon as you move them, they're stressed, mm-hmm. you've changed mm-hmm. their water, you change their food, you change everything about their lifestyle. And what happens? They get diarrhea mm-hmm. and then they get parvo. Mm-hmm. So very cool little trick that you can do. Albon is cheap. It's safe. Great stuff. All about it. Yeah. All about it. Cool. I love it. Okay. Well, Marty, this has been absolutely fascinating. As always, our conversations about poopy are like the best things ever. (laughs) Yeah, very nice. So if you have a kennel and you can't do anything else, you can steam clean. So get a steam cleaner. You can steam clean in your kennel building like with concrete runs. Yeah. Not necessarily going to work with gravel. No, you can't steam clean gravel and you can't steam clean your couch. (laughs) Or mud. Right. But there's just no disinfectant. There's nothing out there that will kill those. Quats are probably the closest thing we have. The peroxide-based disinfectants are really good, really safe, but again, won't kill Giardia and Coccidia. So if you have it, you got to just deal with it. So put them on Panicure the last five days that you have them at your house if you have endemic Giardia. And if you are concerned about other things like Coccidia and Parvo, Albon. Mm-hmm. So just 
Get used to it. Buy a pint of it. Get yep. used to it. Well, we buy Fenbendas all by the, not quite the gallon. But <laughs> they come as liter bottles. Yes. yes. <laughs> when I brought in the wire hair bitch to welt for somebody else and she came with hookworm, it became a staple in my life. So. Right. Unfortunately. We'll just throw in here the intestinal parasite control because mm. I love this and a lot of people don't know about it is if you put your bitch on while she's pregnant from day 42 of pregnancy to day 14 of lactation, five weeks, the label says three days, it's five weeks, 42 days. If you give fenbendazole Panicure Safeguard once a day at the 50 milligram per kilogram dose, she will not transmit roundworms and hookworms into her puppies through the placenta and through the mammary through the milk and it's super cool because you will have very healthy GI healthy gut puppies so gut health is where it's at man I'm all about it and you guys that listen to the podcast on a regular basis and Marty you'll know this one the gut brain axis yes. that I did the conversation a while back with Canine Health Foundation people about those studies and I think that is conceivably one of the single most fascinating things in our kind of current world of discussion is how poor gut health can affect literally mental stability in our dogs. Absolutely. I just think that's fascinating. It is. It's absolutely just the coolest thing. And I think the more we understand about it, the better. So it happens in humans. It's got to happen in our dogs as well. It's very fascinating. I take my probiotics every day so I don't yell at people. <laughs> <laughs> what else is in your probiotic? <laughs> No, just probiotics. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and lots of vitamin D. Those are mine, okay. too. My sainted partner tells me he can tell when I run out of vitamin D because I haven't taken my happy pills. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it takes. Oh, girl. It's better than, oh. better than cold your coffee. <laughs> True. Vitamin D and probiotics and, yeah, much better. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Do not give your dogs vitamin D. That's only for you. <laughs> yeah, we don't know enough about some of this stuff. <laughs> anyway. All right, Marty, thank you so, so very much. I really appreciate it. Of course. Anytime. <laughs> I'm looking forward to all of our ongoing conversations in 2022. You guys, I am so excited. I've been wanting to create a live call-in show forever. So, finally, I decided to just do it. <laughs> dog shows, dog grooming, dog handling, dog breeding, you name it. Join the conversation live and get trusted answers to all of your questions. No more Facebook groups. No more 20,000 answers to the same question. Just solid knowledge. Amazing. Start planning now. Visit the Pure Dog Talk Facebook page for a link to our YouTube Live Lightning Round with Laura. Be on the lookout for live chat opportunities, special guests, they'll be a secret live calls from the audience and more let's kick off the new year in pure dog talk style like the npr of dogdom pure dog talk is here for you to make sense out of everyday things 
to add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech books. To bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers Desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk. 